Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. You are listening to the Revival Fire podcast with Dr. Debbie Rich. You can find her on social media at Debbie Rich Ministries or check her website out at DebbieRichMinistries.org. Now, get ready to receive all that God has for you and enjoy the podcast. We are going to get back into the Word tonight with a new series that we began last week on the honor of God. And uh, uh, we may do a little review here. Um, some were not able to make it last week, the first week, and some that were not able to are still missing tonight, but said they're going to watch by way of uh, live stream, and so uh, they want to get caught up here because I believe this is an important foundation for our church. I didn't just pick something. There are a lot of subjects we could teach on and a lot of subjects I had in Bible school. But I sought God and said, what does our church need most? And I'm telling you, it came back to me so quickly, honor. And so I'm doing a lot of studying here. We'll be on this for a while. But um, I'm going to try to make this review from last week as brief as I can, and then we'll go on. Honor is an almost non-existent virtue in the 21st century. Uh, I can't remember, but as we were fellowshipping and just working back in the kitchen, something somebody said brought up something to me. I said, it's just another example of how we lack honor today. Um, can't even remember what it was now. Do you remember what it was? Pardon me? Oh, no, it was. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Taylor was telling me about uh, going to college. He said, it's so weird. He said, if we ate any food in the classroom in uh, grade school, you know, we, we would be in big trouble. And here he says he'd smell Fruit Loops. Why am I smelling Fruit Loops? Oh, the girl beside you is having her breakfast. And, and, uh, and I said, you know, it's just pervasive in our society that you're, you're coming there to learn. How much do you learn when you're eating your breakfast? You might say, well, I can still listen, but no, we aren't that single focus. But it's just about how we don't honor anything anymore. I remember a day even in college, you couldn't have done things like that. But uh, we need to bring honor back. We like it in the movies. It has power to move us. There are displays of honor that inspire us as courage and sacrifice or witness. How many remember, most of the best movies that have moved me are like, how honorable he's given his life for his nation or for, or for the lady. Or, or it's all about honor and chivalry. And we're like, that is so cool that there is somebody with that kind of character in them. Um, and we have to have honor restored to the sons and daughters of God. We will find out in this course that honor is the key essential to receiving from God. When we learn this, it'll take us closer to the heart of God because he is the author of all that is honorable. It'll cause us to step up to a higher degree of Christ's likeness. It helps us to become like him because there is no dishonor in God. He's not going to be somebody who doesn't keep his word, tells you one thing, does something different, or does anything dishonorable at all. We're going to become like him. We found out his glory and his honor are intrinsically connected. Some of the same meanings, definitions are for both of those words, glory and honor. How many already know the word glory? You hear it from me a lot means heavy, heavier still, weighty. It means much more than that, but that's some of the primary uh, definitions. Do you know that honor means the same thing? Heavy, valuable. So honor and his glory are so connected. 
We, we love a manifestation of his power and presence. That's what we call his glory. But his presence is a manifestation of all that he is. When God's presence comes in, it doesn't just come in in joy. It doesn't just come in in truth. It doesn't just come in in holiness. It doesn't just come in in integrity. It comes in in all that he is. That's why it's so heavy. That's why it's so weighty. It's about all of those things. And when you understand honor, you understand a lot about him. God is honorable. His glory and gloriousness and his honor are so interconnected. When you experience his glory, you experience his honor, his essence of who that he is. His manifested presence has a lot to do with how much we honor him. And I believe that's one of the reasons God told me to teach on this. We want more of his manifested presence, do we not? We aren't going to have it without honor. We just aren't going to have it without honor. We can say, oh, we're, we're revival people. We're Pentecostal to the bone. We love Acts too. We love people falling out of their chairs, running around the building, dancing for joy. And we do. But we aren't going to experience that without honoring him, his people, his things, his word, the amount of anointing, anointing we do have in our midst. So that's why we're studying it. Jesus is the ultimate expression of his glory and honor. The word manifested in the flesh. Love manifested in the flesh. Honor and glory manifested in the flesh. Jesus conducted himself everywhere all the time with everyone with nothing but extreme honor. He never said, I'm going to take the shortcut. I'm going to protect myself this time. You know, I just had some, and I realize I'm on a live stream, and I don't care. These things aren't even pertinent unless you use very real examples. But I reported to the church last Sunday that about last Saturday being bitten by a dog and, and having to go to the hospital, and I'm healing up just fine. Thank you for the prayers. But we also talked about the people calling hysterical, so afraid the dog would be put down. It meant everything to their son. We listened. My, my husband listened to all that. Then I listened to all that. We calm them down. We're not the suing type. We don't even believe in that junk just to get a quick buck, and we don't. That's part of what's wrong with the American society, trying to find any little thing they can grab some money out of people over. And, um, in fact, listen to their story with understanding. And that Saturday night brings me, brings me flowers, apologizes profusely again, um, even asks me for recipes, and we need to get together sometime. I'm telling them we're going to pray for your son. Please don't worry about anything. These things happen, and I'm going to be fine, and hug, and it was sweet, and it was awesome. And then uh, on Monday, we don't even get a personal call, even though they have our numbers, we get a call from where my husband used to pastor, because that came up in conversation that he used to pastor there, that they actually called the secretary of that church and said, have this man call me. He does, and he's told, we'll have no more to do with you. We will pay for nothing. Um, this was your fault. My husband told her not to pet the dog. She, she I don't think she told you that I crossed the street. We found out in their report, their police report, she said, I crossed the street to pet the dog. I was never, ever on the other side of the street. Anyway, in that process, I was so shocked because my husband, who's worked with people a lot longer than I have, said to me, you can believe all those tears all you want, Debbie, but I've worked with people for a long time, and the more tears you get, usually the less likely it is that somebody means it. 
they're trying to pull you in and and they'll have no more to do with you not pay for anything not i'm like no honey don't believe like that she couldn't look me in the eye and tell me that and hug me and thank me over and over and over for being so understanding i can tell they're super nice people and blah 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 so when she calls and says all that my husband said to her yep i told my wife that you weren't for real and that this would happen and then she really exploded and said you have no right to judge me boy isn't that it that's all we're hearing out there out in the world or the church either one you have no right to judge me how could you even be a christian let alone a pastor and and he said he wished he would have been on his feet a little quicker he would have said no you missed it i'm not a judge you've just made me a prophet because <laughs> everything he prophesied is what happened and um and afterwards, I, I just kept shaking my head, especially when I found out that they who begged us, begged us at the hospital, begged us Saturday night, begged us, do not file a police report, do not file a uh, animal, um, whatever it is, report, control report. All right. The hospital said, no, you need to, ma'am. You need to. If that dog, they need to watch it for rabies. And if it ever had another, it needs to be recorded. Oh, I, I don't know. The lady's asking me not to. And they said, do you care if we do? And I said, well, if you want to go ahead. They said, yeah, they won't do anything to the dog the first time. And, but I found out the hospital didn't call either. You know what that was all about? And I, I, that's not my notes. I didn't know I was going to get into it, but it's, it's the epitome of what I'm talking about here. So I call the sheriff's department and find out they filed all of their own reports when they asked me not to. Immediately the first day. And in that report, it says I was on the other side of the street, which I was never on once. Never even ever walk on that side of the street. Cross the street. The man said, please don't pet my dog. And I said, I'll do what I want and pet the dog anyway. And I'm just like, I'm like, people don't do that, do they? They don't, re I mean, nice neighborly folks that tell you, oh, so-and-so, so my parents used to live on the street down from you. People like that don't do that, do they? And I sent her a message later. I said, I, I know you won't respond to this or you'll probably respond mean, but it's just going to help me to get it off my chest. I said, I trusted you. I believed you. In or out of the church, I said, where I come from in the Midwest, at least a generation ago, your word was your bond. If you shook hands and certainly if you hugged and said, this is how we're going to handle something, it meant this is how we're going to handle something. It didn't mean, ha, 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 I got the knife behind your back as a neighborly thing to do. I said, I'm just in shock that people can even do such things. I said, it's not about money. And then I said, is this what our legal system and our lawyers, because they said they had obtained legal advice, the deputy sheriff told me she doubted it. She said that's what they always say to intimidate you. But but in either case, if they did or didn't, I thought, is this what our legal system has done? Let me get the jump on somebody before they can do anything. It doesn't matter what's true. doesn't matter how it hurts. doesn't matter who's responsible. doesn't matter who, who, who uh, Charlotte had an incident too. Somebody hitting her car the other day, getting her hair done. Somebody else witnessing it. They just drive off like they didn't do anything. I remember a day if people, if you couldn't see any damage, you would go in and say, who, who is the such and such car out here? I don't see any damage, but I've got to do the right thing. I bumped your car. 
You know why? Society used to have a degree of honor in it. Even if people weren't born again, you know why? Where did that honor come from? Because there was a remnant of godly word principles in the United States of America. That's why people would talk about going overseas into other countries where there was no honor, where people would just steal you blind and you couldn't leave anything out. And you'd think, well, we don't have to be like that in our country. Obviously, we do now. But it's changed so much even as since I grew up that you could leave a computer open in a hotel room or in our nation because our nation had a degree of honor and with honor is honesty, your word, respect, and so many other things. So we've got to get it back because when it's missing out there, that gradually infiltrates into the church even when born-again, spirit-filled people think they know how to honor. You see a lot of it missing. So Jesus always conducted himself with honor. We talked about the honor principle, 1 Samuel 2.30. We're going to be talking about that a lot through this course, so it would be a good one to look at and memorize. 1 Samuel 2.30, but now the Lord says, far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. So can you count on it that if you honor God, he'll honor you? What does the Bible say that we just read? Yes, he says he will. Would it be a good thing to be honored by God? What do you think the answer to that would be? Absolutely. Any success that we've enjoyed, any financial success, being healed, used by God in different areas, all of that is him honoring us in those things. Anytime you or I have been promoted, any events has just talked about another raise again. And how many has he talked about in the, in the church? And it's incredible. That's only because God's honoring him. When I talk about the doors that open for me from all over, all over the world, from the village floors, how do you get it, Madison Square Garden, when you've just been nothing but almighty God honoring you for something he saw in secret? You can't make those things happen. All of that is him honoring us. Every aspect of church service should be a privilege. Now, we talked about this in more detail last week, but I'm, I'm just skimming over some of these things that if people start coming to church anymore, which a lot of people do anymore, I'm not talking about particularly in this house. I'm talking about in the time we live in and in the body of Christ. People are like, boy, you ought to be fortunate I came. I'm tired, but I came anyway. You owe me something. I got family, but I came anyway. I got holiday plans, but I came anyway. And I like what Brother Keith Moore says about that. He says, me and those kind of people are going to tangle real fast. He said, when I have to fluff up people's feathers and keep building them up to make them stay, he said, I already know they're on their way out. He said, what we have to do is come in the house of God saying, I'm so privileged to be here tonight. I'm so privileged to be a part of this body and the body of Christ. I'm so privileged to be able to serve you in any capacity, Lord. I'm so privileged to get to hear from your anointing and from the word of God that I ought to be thanking you I have a house of worship to come to, not that they owe me something because I showed up tonight. We shouldn't have to pet people. We all owe God everything, and anything the Lord asks us to do is a privilege and I like how he mentioned, watch that phrase, that's not my ministry. He says people fill out forms all the time saying, we just want to help with anything. And then when you call them, well, not that. 
and they wonder why you don't call them again for a long time. There is a mighty anointed man of God who helped me make hors d'oeuvres today for a party. And as a pastor, three weeks out from surgery, when I'm not even supposed to be lifting anything, I got all the groceries for it yesterday. And I'm hauling them all in by myself yesterday. I didn't go, that's not my ministry. I'm the preacher around here. Anything we can do to serve God's people and the community is an awesome privilege, no matter what it is. You start taking something for granted, you're in danger of losing it. So now back to that. Those who honor me, I will honor. Those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. There's a lot of stuff in those couple of phrases. The definition of honor, heavy, weighty. Again, some of the same definitions translated from glory. It also means to value. It means precious. It means costly. It means expensive. It means to prize or to revere. If you honor something, you mean that you value it. It's precious and valuable to you. Now, I started to grin there as I was reading that because something else came into my mind. God will use everything back to you as an example. I was just showing some people today something I just posted to Facebook. I haven't been posting in weeks. I just don't have time for that. But I saw something on my daughter-in-law's page that just made me laugh and laugh, and I thought everybody needs a good laugh. So I shared it on my page called How to Avoid the Doghouse. And it was a hilarious little little video sketch somebody did of, of a, a guy who thought he was doing an awesome thing, buying his wife a vacuum cleaner for their anniversary. And he ended up in, uh, in, in a bad place, along with some guys who said he bought his wife a mustache waxer for their anniversary. And, and another guy who bought his wife an abdominal exerciser while he reminded her, a little less of this, a little more of this, honey. <laughs> and wondered why he got in the doghouse and a few other examples along the way and it got my when my husband and I were done laughing we got to talking about Christmas holidays anniversaries and how everybody looks at it differently the point isn't should a wife be grateful especially if they don't have much money and she's needed a vacuum cleaner that she gets one absolutely and of course it was just a hilarious thing it wasn't necessarily a life lesson although it could be in many of those cases but um but here's the other point it's making. Now, my husband grew up in a family that not only did they get nothing for birthdays or Christmases or anything, but he told me a story today about his mom just being so upset because it was Christmas and she didn't get anything. And his dad couldn't understand why she was, was upset when they're broke. They can't even pay the bills. But he goes and gets a little credit from a guy and gets some cruddy, ugly dishes, which she already had dishes anyway and some pots and pans. He brings them home and she's more upset and he really can't can't figure that out and he said there was hell to pay for days around that house and we got to, to talking about it's not the point of how expensive it is it's not here's the point I've known people like like his father in that area in my past not my parents they made a real big deal out of birthdays or Christmases for the lim limited amount of money they had it was very special but I've I uh I've known people that just because it was important to you, they're going to be stubborn and in pride and say, an occasion shouldn't be important to anybody. It's just dumb. It's just dumb to give gifts. So you don't get any. The kids don't get any. I'm not into it. 
How many know what love would do would say whether I'm into it, whether I understand it, whether I was raised that way or not isn't the point. Love says that's important to you. So I'm going to do the best I can. And it's not about an a beautiful diamond ring versus a vacuum cleaner. It's about, you know what? When the vacuum cleaner breaks down, somehow we'll find a way to get it sometime during the year. But this is an occasion that says, I love you. What is something she's crying out for that might not even make any sense to me? Wow, all of the day's happenings are coming in this message <laughs> that aren't in the notes. This is the point. Honor says... It's not just about practicality. Honor says, oh, why, why should they care if I huff and puff a little bit in church? Or why should they care if I am distracted and got to get up and down? It's no, honor says, I'm going to go the extra mile to pull on the word, to pull on the anointing, to be single focused, to honor the things of God. Honor and love and glory are all intertwined that I want to do this. Maybe not be, it's, it's like that time I tried to give Pastor Rodney the car. Did he need a car? No, he had several. Was it my only car? Absolutely. Was there some, oh, let's see. Uh, but if I didn't give it to him, are any more starving children going to be fed? Because that's the way some people would look at it. Like, give a pre or a car when he already has too many and you know how many, whether I gave it to him or whether I kept it wasn't going to feed anybody stupid religious ideas but honor said if I have to walk I'll figure it out but right now I'm honoring the man of God because I'm honoring God when I do that and when I'm coming back and saying thank you I'm not going to be like the nine other lepers I'm going to be the one that with thanksgiving puts honor and love and devotion into it not just do they need it or not eh, well, that's that's what happens in a dishonorable society it needs to be precious and valuable to you. And if you treat the things of God as precious and valuable and important to you, he's going to treat your things and my things as precious and valuable to him. We're going to talk about some subtle variations of failing to esteem the things of God. They're subtle because how many know the enemy's subtle? He doesn't just come out and say, hey, next week when you go to church, why don't you spit on the building? He knows better than that. He's going to do subtle things. In fact, I could wait till we get into these things, but I tell you, stuff is coming faster to me tonight than I can look at my notes that aren't in my notes. And here's another one. <laughs> I'm going to get very brave with our own house and just use it. We took, um, we took Sid and Peggy out to dinner Monday night. Uh, you know, they've just started coming recently and said they wanted to talk to us about they felt this was the house for them. And we had an awesome time. And, and he's very involved in prison ministry and, and is an army vet from Vietnam, Neil, and, and has, has uh, you and him would have a lot of things in common as, as we talked. And I told him that. And, and he doesn't want to just sit. He wants to do ministry. And, he, and as he was talking, I'm like, I want this house to be utilized for ministry. I don't know how many times I've said that. Let's not just use it two or three times a, a week. I'll pay the electricity. I'll pay the heat. But let's get some ministries going and let's have some people doing some stuff. And so he wants to show me some other things he has in mind. And, but eventually I was saying, I w you know, I wish you guys could be here on Wednesday nights because he has to leave early on Sunday to go to the prison. And, 
He said, well, a lot of the weeks I'm doing prison other nights other than Wednesday. So he thought he could be here tonight. And um, they both did, but he sent me a message today saying he forgot about a certain specific appointment he had out in the prison tonight. But he said, I'm clearing the, the block next week for, for Wednesday night. And he says, and uh, I want you to know we're going to watch on live stream and we're going to catch up. But she just made a casual comment. It wasn't even a, she wasn't putting anybody down. It was just an observation that I'm just going to bring out today. She said, you know, as we sat and talked with them, I about fell over, first of all, what a small world. Guess what? They were in the church that Pastor Rodney was first in in Clifton Park, New York, when revival first break out, that famous one. He talks about in April of 89 when he was in upstate New York. She was the church secretary. He was an usher. She said she never did get the joy and couldn't figure out why, but she loved watching everybody else get it. And her, her husband, who was an usher, he was trying to do something. Pastor Rodney looked at him and said, this is yours, you ugly mess. Sounds like him. And he said he went flying backwards over some things and got so hit with the power. And, and um, anyway, some other things that I just, I was blown away by. So I, I messaged, I texted Pastor Rodney while we were having dinner. Said, you're not going to believe this because they told me some other specific personal things that he would remember. And he just wrote back, that is so wild. And I said, yeah, they're coming into our church. So they love the anointing and they love revival. And then she said this. She says, you know, you think when you're once in it that you still got it. And you realize after years that, that it's taken out of you. And I said, yeah. And she said, you know what? Sunday morning when I came up for prayer. Now, Sunday, like so many of them, to me, was so subdued. But for her and what she's known for a while, she said, that presence of God Sunday wrapped around me. And I re when I came up for prayer and I realized I haven't had this since I can remember, I loved it. And she said, I just knew everybody else was basking in it like me. And she said, I turned around, there wasn't another soul up there. I said, no, there wasn't. I said, I expected the whole church to come up. I've expected that the last two or three Sundays, the kind of call I've given. But I said, only a few do. And then it's kind of like, Phil, thank you. Say, you going fishing next week, buddy? Or are you doing this? You doing... That, my friends, is why we do not have more anointing in the house. Can your pastor be very, because I just don't have time to play games anymore. I said to her, no, I don't know. We would have more of what you got touched with if somebody would linger. But if it's a come up like, like almost like you do this with your husband or your wife, instead of, oh, I love on you. I don't have anything better than to do this for, for 10 minutes, for 15 minutes. We would have a lot of people getting touched the way you're getting touched. And she said, well, I want that. And I said, I'm so glad you do because that's what this house was open for. We could have all stayed lots of places where we got the quick, but that's why we opened this, because we couldn't settle for that. But we won't have more of it until we honor the things of God. We have to be aware of what's important in esteeming his things and exercise this, because so many areas of society are honorless. The expression, so what? How many know that can be very displeasing to the Lord? So it's church time again, so what? It's offering time again. Oh, we're used to that. We've had... How many thousands of offerings? 
Second John 1 8 says, look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. So we talked about what a sobering statement that is, that you will lose what you labored for. We talked about John was an old man when he wrote this. What, 90, 90 some? And, and how there is something about when somebody tells you something at the end of their life, when they've lived a fruitful, honorable life before God, uh, John Bevere calls it the grandfather and grandmother anointing on them, that when they say something, it's weighty and you should really listen not just skim over it and it's just them talking. It's just my grandpa, my dad, my mom, my, my aunt, my old pal. No, this is somebody who's lived a life for Jesus. And when they say something, it's got weight. And he talked about many people in his life. And I talked about people in my life that when they talk, you pay attention. Um, Life-defining moments. It's always an occurrence you're not aware of, an open book test. The problem is we don't know we've been examined until it's over. But if you've already developed the pattern of heeding wise counsel, you will naturally follow suit and find yourself greatly rewarded. And when he says, look to yourselves, that means take heed, examine, watch out for yourselves. It has an urgency to his words. It's not to be taken lightly. Don't lose what you have labored for. That's why scripture repeatedly encourages us to finish well. And I'm going to say some scriptures fast, but I'm not going to read them all because we read them all last week. Matthew 10, 22, I'll read just that one. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Mark 13, 13, Hebrews 3, 14, Revelations 2, 26, all are talking about making it to the end. Christianity is not a sprint, but an endurance run. It's not how we start, but how we end, how we complete it. And how we finish it is determined by the choices we make, and those are often formed by patterns we develop along the way. We talked last week about Rehoboam. And some of you weren't here last week might want to look this up in 1 Kings chapter 12. I'm not going to read all the verses I did. I'm just going to refer to it. When he was a boy and didn't heed his dad's counsel or the elders around him, as a little prince, it didn't cost him much. But when he grew up, the old men who were his dad's counsel said, I've got an idea. The backs of the people are heavy. Lighten that load a little bit and they'll be yours forever. And then he saw his young pals. Is that what you guys say? No, that's those quacky old men and their stupid old religious ideas. We say, you tell them that you haven't seen even a little finger's worth of what I'm going to do to you compared to what my dad did. And what happened to him? He lost five-sixths of the kingdom that his dad built overnight by not listening to the right counsel. Old-fashioned advice, he thought. Tragic results. The children of Israel did the same thing. Developed a pattern of not heeding God's word. He delivers them from bondage. He gives a miracle after miracle. Sometimes when they miss the mark, it didn't seem to affect them very much. But a life-defining moment when the spies were sent in and 10 say, we can't do it. It cost them everything. And none of them except Joshua and Caleb and that new generation were ever going to see the promised land. It's because... They listened to the wrong counsel and it cost them dearly. God hates complaining. He hates murmuring. We read in 1 Corinthians 10, 10 and 11. 
He lists big sins. Don't do any of these. He's talking about sexual immorality, all kinds of stuff. And in the middle of it was don't complain as they complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Why is that in the middle of all these big sins? Because complaining is a huge form of dishonor. It's an insult to God's character. It's a way of saying, I don't like what you're doing in my life. And if I was you, I'd be doing it a whole lot differently, which is a subtle form of rebellion. It's a lack of fear of the Lord. We don't want to just obey him. We want to catch his heart. Then we'll glimpse the wisdom behind his directives. We won't just see him as law and rules. We'll be like, God, I just want to please you. You know, my parents most of the time didn't have to tell me something twice, not just because I knew I was going to get it, which I did know that, but because I wanted to make them happy. I knew if I did good in school, there was a smile. If you did this, when you want to grab the heart of somebody, you want to do it. They don't have to tell you 10 times. The simple way to not lose what we've labored for is to develop patterns of consistently honoring God's counsel. This is a big one. Every day we're presented with opportunities to make choices. But if we keep developing godly patterns, we'll continue to do the right thing at the life-defining moments and realize our reward. Psalm 1911 says, in keeping his words, there's great reward. He's a great rewarder. He introduced himself to Abraham. Don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield and your exceedingly great reward. We had a bunch of other reward scripture last week, but I'm just touching on it. Brother John Bevere says, as a wise father, he's learned you do not reward a child unless they've deserved it. They've earned it. He said, all my boys know I love them, but they know they aren't going to get a reward unless they do what I ask them to. Or you destroy the power of the incentive, and incentive is a good thing. God rewards those he's pleased with, those who heed his counsel. Notice John says we may receive a full reward. That means there's a partial reward or a no reward at all. How many want the full reward? I do. And we, we said there are two applications of getting a, a, a full reward. One has to do with the judgment seat of Christ. And we read several verses, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, 9, 10, and 11, that talk about how we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, receive the things done in the body, whether good or bad. There will be a judgment seat of Christ, and every believer will stand before it. We'll receive according to what we did in our short time on earth. The today's English version states we will each receive what we deserve. We'll be rewarded or we'll suffer loss for what we did as believers. How many know the Bible says that the fire is going to come? And if there's nothing less left, if it was wood, hay, and stubble, it's all going to be burned up. If it was precious stones and jewels, we'll have that reward forever. Our deeds, words, thoughts, and even motives will be inspected in the light of his word. The temporary things in which we build our lives will be devoured. That'll result in loss. And the eternal will be purified into everlasting rewards. I'm getting ahead of myself. But listen to Brother Keith Moore in this honor series. He said he has prayed for the longest time. God, let what you think is important be important to me. And what you don't think is important not be important to me. That's pretty simple. But some things that were like, oh, I want to do this so bad. It, in light of eternity, is it going to mean anything? Absolutely not. So what's important to God needs to be important to us and vice versa. 
The scope of loss will vary. 1 Corinthians 3, 14 and 15 says if, if anyone's work which he's built endures, he'll receive a reward. If it's burned, he'll suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. We might have everything consumed and just barely be saved as we go through the fire. All the way to the highest reward of reigning alongside Jesus Christ forever and ever. The first is an example of a no reward situation. The latter, full reward, reigning with him. And there's partial rewards right in the middle somewhere. The judgment seat decisions are called eternal judgments, according to Hebrews 6, 1 and 2, and Revelation 3, 21. In other words, it's not like, sorry, sorry, Lord, can I do this over again? Okay, let's give you the full reward. I know if you could do it better now, you do it. No, it's eternal. We only have this chance on earth for all of our rewards to be burn up or to have the highest rewards or just partial rewards. It's about how we live this life as believers, not about our sins. They have been eradicated by the blood if we're under the blood. We're not talking about salvation here. The Lord himself examines us. A decision resulting from investigation can go anywhere from reigning with Christ to everything being burned up. And never any changes or amendments. What I do at the cross determines where I spend eternity, thank God. But how we live as believers determines how we spend eternity with him. So it's wise to look diligently into what the scripture says about these judgments and rewards. And this is described in Hebrews as an elementary teaching of Christ. It's where the foundation is laid. And we can't be building on the wrong foundation and then get up there and wonder why the house is toppling. Let's get these foundations right. Now the second application is in this life down here. 1 Timothy 4.8, for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So he wants to reward us right now. He wants us to heed our counsel, make the right decisions right now, live in such a way that we'll get the full reward in this life. Proverbs 11.31 says that we will be re recompensed on the earth. Proverbs 13.21 says the good shall be repaid and the righteous. James 1.16 and 17 says every good and every perfect gift is from above. He's the giver of good gifts, never anything harmful. His desire is to reward you and I both right now and throughout eternity. Proverbs 10.22, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow to it. Proverbs 28.20, the man who wants to do right will get a rich reward. So he wants to give us these rewards down here just because he said so. Now, when you look through the Bible, you see some got full rewards, some got partial, some got none. So we need to look at what caused that. And you know the story of how Hannah wanted a child and promised that when he was weaned, she would give him to God. And he grew up in a priestly family. He grew up in Eli's family. He was like one of the family of the priests. And um, we went back in the story last week to 1 Samuel 2.12. I'm not going to read it all. But my goodness, you need to remind yourself, especially if you weren't here last week, it talks about all the corrupt stuff that Eli's sons were doing. They didn't know God at all. In fact, the Bible calls them the sons of Belial, serving right here in the middle of the church. Obviously the temple, but I'm bringing it up to date. Serving in the temple, laying with the women, 
not not getting rid of the flesh like they're supposed to in the sacrifices, defrauding the people, treating all of God's things dishonorable. And and it looks like Eli used to know something about God, had grown cold, but his sons didn't ever. They stole the people's offerings. They spurned the ordinances of the Lord. And, and it just goes on and on, the junk they did. And we talked about how people look at offerings has a lot to do with how we treat them and how we talk about them, that we aren't to beg, we aren't to force people to give, and we aren't to disdain them like it's nothing. We're to do just what we do in this church, clap and rejoice and worship God with them. But when you find people disdaining the things of the church, the, the pastor sometimes just flippantly doing stuff, of course the congregation will be that way. And in verses 22 through 36, it says Eli got old, and his kids didn't heed his voice, and Samuel grew in stature and in favor both with the Lord and man. And then he goes on to say, how come you let him kick up my sacrifice and my offering? Sorry, something just came to me that I can't even get into it right now, but the Lord spoke to me something as I was praying earlier today, and I just see it again. It says, you honor your sons more than me. You know, that's easy for people to do and make excuses for their kids. And it gets really dangerous. And then he goes on to give that honor formula that we say, far be it from me for those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. And then he said, he's going to raise himself up a faithful priest. Now, this honor principle was as true then as it is today, and it's as true today as it was then. He'll only honor those who honor him. And going back to just using some Brother Keith Moore examples, he said God started showing him and began dealing with him early in his teens and allowing him to be in situations where he'd learn the characteristics and principles of honor. Because God knows the future. He knows what you're going to be doing. He didn't know he was going to be a minister. But he said, I was so drawn to anything about honor. And looking back on it, it was apparent that, that God knew how this had to be such a big deal to him because he would be in the ministry. And he began to see now how big God is in honor. And, uh, and then talk some more about how our society and generation is still suffering much from the rebellion of the 60s and 70s. Some things were lost that haven't been restored. People who don't understand honor don't understand the concepts of honor. They have no qualms about regarding things as commonplace and treating people as common. A huge problem with that is the way you are with people, you will be with God. I'm going to say that again. The way we are with people, we will be with God. We might say, no, I have great respect for God. I just don't for people. No, it doesn't work that way. How many know the Bible says if you say you love God and you don't love his people, you're a liar? The same is true with all the rest of his attributes. To say you honor him but you don't honor people doesn't work that way. We're a liar. So uh, many of the ways we show honor for him is how we show it to his people, his representatives on the earth. And he said, as God started revealing this to him at a young age, he was in junior high in the library, and he was led to books about honor, history, and fiction, about tribes and Native Americans and warriors and all of their honor, kings and their honor. And then he said, at the age of 10, he said, a little embarrassing, but he said, every day when I came home from school, I was all beat up. He said, I mean, really beat up at 10. 
broken nose, and he'd come home whimpering, whining, and his dad said one day, son, we got to do something about that. And so his dad took him and enrolled him in karate and martial arts and not just a normal little karate studio. He says there's different camps, but he was trained by a direct descendant of a master of Funakoshi from Okinawa. And he said, we trained on cement floors with no pads. He said they were so strict that at the age of 10, 11, 12, 13, he had to sit a certain way. He couldn't even lean against the wall. We're talking about a 10 years old. Couldn't even lean against it. He had to stand in a certain way. And he said, if I ever got out of position, have one inappropriate stance, the instructor could come by and knock your feet out from under you and you'd hit the floor. And you're supposed to say, thank you, sir. How many have ever seen any basic training like that? And it looks to me like it's a lot of the same way. And he says, I mean, you better get back up quick, fast. And if one of your instructors was good enough to take time to show you and teach you where you left yourself open and vulnerable, then you get a swift kick to the ribs and fold up. But when you straightened up, you again answer, thank you, sir. Yes, sir. I thank you for that. Boy, you can't get by with that in the church, can you? You can't even say, this will take you to hell. Well, you blankety blank blank, you don't have to be my pastor then. Instead of, thank you, sir, for caring about eternity, or thank you, ma'am. He said, because they showed us something, but something's been lost in this Western world, and it's hard for Western minds to grab something about that. But they retained the honor of the warrior code. The ancients grilled that in them, and then he gave an example, and I'll shorten it, but in one of his tournaments, he said he really got the advantage of this other guy, and he knocked him to the floor, and that guy was hurt bad. I mean, it was a legal move, but the guy was hurt bad. He said he was hurt so bad that he went to the corner, and Keith said, I just turned around and went to my corner and got down on one knee. I didn't even watch him, that he could come over and kick me right then or anything. He said, because we had an honor code, and it was really looked down on that you took advantage of a guy when he was down. So he said, I just gave him all the time he needed to freshen up, get some water poured on him, and lick his wounds before we went back at it again because it was the honorable thing to do. He said, nobody had to keep teaching me that. And then he found out the honor comes from God and his word. He's the originator of it. He said, as he traveled with Brother Hagen with him for about 20 years, he heard him say one day, and then he heard him say it constantly, and I've even heard Brother Hagen say this. He said, I already had it on my heart, but when he said it, something went off on the inside of me that was so true. He said, if we want to see a greater move of the Spirit, we have to learn to reverence him. He said that just resounded on the inside of me. We must learn to honor the anointing, to honor the Holy Ghost, or there will be limitations and he will not manifest himself to us. I, we can pray for it. We can ask for it. We can say we want it. We can say we like it. We can come up and put our hands up. But if we don't learn to honor the Holy Ghost, we will be limited to how much he shows up. There's a principle here that we need to know about God. Remember, Jesus said, don't give that which is holy to the dogs. And don't cast your pearls before swine. What does that mean? Is he just wanting to call people names and say, hey, don't, don't give anything to those people. They're dogs. They're swine. No. Here's what he's saying. Pigs do not appreciate pearls, do they? You can give your pet pig a $10,000 string of pearls or a gravel rock, and he won't know the difference. Arnold won't know the difference. 
because he has no discretion or discernment. He doesn't even know what's valuable and what isn't valuable. A pig doesn't have anything like that where jewelry is concerned. So he says, don't give the pearl to the pig. And then he gives an example of a dog. No matter how much people like their dogs, your dog is not saved and spirit filled. A dog is a dog. You may try to teach him this is a holy Bible. And, and, and this is just an old magazine that I'm not even interested in anymore. This is holy. This isn't. But that dog would just assume chew on the Holy Bible as the magazine because he has no discernment about what is holy and what is not holy. God said, don't do it. Take what's holy and give to the dogs. Don't do it. So one time when Brother Keith was praying, he said, just kind of quiet. He heard this so distinctly. Some, would you like to know how to increase your capacity to receive from me? Well, who, what minister wouldn't go? Doesn't take me two seconds to say yes, 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 yes. And he said, then cultivate. And I find this so timely tonight. I could have cut it off before this, but this is so important for what we're facing tomorrow. He said, if you want to receive a whole lot more from me, cultivate a lifestyle of thanksgiving. He said, cultivate doesn't mean it'll happen automatically. It means you got to put forth effort every day to stir yourself up to be thankful. Because if you don't put forth the effort, you'll become unthankful and take things for granted. You might have 39 things in your life that aren't working, but there are a lot more that are. And faith is always thankful. Unbelief is ungrateful. He said he worked in healing school and it's always what he had to deal with. He said, I'm telling you, a person could have one thing wrong with one finger. And that's all they talked about day and night. Oh, that finger. And I don't know why that finger doesn't work. And I, he said he had to teach them. You've got nine fingers working. Start thanking God for that. You have a heart that is working fine. Thank God for that. You've got two legs. You have 10 toes. Thank God for that. Thank God you can eat and chew. Thank God you can put your feet on the ground in the morning and get out of bed by yourself. Thank God that you can bend over and tie your shoes and quit just thinking about that one finger that doesn't work but we take things for granted and get ungrateful and that's a serious mistake so gratitude needs to be constantly coming out of our mouth thank you thank you thank you even when a challenge comes up thank you lord for another opportunity to walk in faith and demonstrate your word and that it works so when he said that cultivate a lifestyle of thanksgiving it was in connection with being increased and enlarged to receive from God. He said, I didn't even really get the correlation that much when God first told me. But like so many things, revelation keeps coming as you go and grow and learn in the word. And he said, I started to get revelation and begin to see that the Lord is very big on faithfulness. Now, this is so important, church. The Lord expects us to honor what he's already given us or he will not be interested in giving us anymore. And if you don't see and honor and respect what he's given you, you stand to lose what you already have. The Lord Jesus said to him who has will be given more. To him who is not, it will be taken away. And the context of that is that you appreciate and esteem what he's already given you. If you utilize it, if you use it, he'll give you more. How many remember the story of the talents? One man hid his, the others used theirs. And when the Lord came back, was he happy with the one who hid his? What did he do? 
He took it away and gave it to the guy who already had a bunch. A lot of people think God's so unfair because they don't have any revelation in these areas. How come all these other people get prosperity, get things, get blessed, get healed easily, and other people just seems like they have to struggle, struggle, struggle? Well, here's one of the reasons. The thing is, when the Lord finds people who appreciate what he's given them, and they esteem it, and they use it, he keeps giving them more. Because here's someone who appreciates it, and we need to be the same with others and not take precious things he's given us for granted and push them off on those who don't want to hear it. The Bible says, speak not in the ears of the fool. He'll despise your words. The Lord doesn't want his holy things despised. It's a sin. His things and words are precious and valuable and should be treated that way. If you and I are talking to someone, hi, about the things of the Lord, and they don't want to hear it, and you can tell they don't want to hear it. It's not anything they want. Just cut it off unless you get something specific from the Lord. He said, those who honor me, I will honor. And it's a good thing when he honors you. But those who don't, I will despise. Now, this is going to surprise you. It did me. The definition of the word despise, if you think of the word despise or I think of the word despise, what do we think of? We think of something super strong like I despise it, I hate it, I want to spit on it, it's just vulgar to me. But that's not the definition of despise in the Bible. That's why people don't know when they're doing it. It's not that strong. When the Bible talks about it, it means to make light of, to disesteem, to regard as insignificant, to make nothing of. It's not just that you're disgusted with something like we think, but the Bible uses it like you just don't appreciate it or honor it. The lack of honor is despising it. And a couple of examples are in Matthew 13, 44 and 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Jesus is teaching here. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. It's like seeking goodly pearls. Do you know the Lord is so great and powerful that if he wanted to, he could manifest himself, his presence right now all over Aberdeen in a moment. And everybody would be on their knees and on their face honoring him as the big God that he is. But he doesn't want to do it that way. He wants us to have enough discernment and, and not be like casting your pearls before dogs or swine. He wants us to realize this is God's word and I'm going to draw my attention to it and I'm going to love him and honor him. He doesn't have to show himself that way. I honor his word at the first word of it. It's the process of selection on the basis of faith. And faith is inseparable from honor. He's looking for a people that, and listen to this closely, when he gives his word through human vessels. And we, we all hear that through people all the time, don't we? But have you ever noticed there are some people who, who react this way? When they hear the first word of God, they go, wow, that's the word of God. That's going to change my life. And they will esteem it and honor it. And to them, he opens their heart to understand and have faith, gives them revelation to receive, revelation to get saved. And you know what? Others will go with the same exact message. Ah, uh, another preacher. So all we need is another preacher. 
and not appreciate the word of life for what it is. They are not given a heart to understand or faith to receive. In fact, they get harder. They get blinder. They can't even understand anything when they read the word. In another place, he says this, take heed what you hear. Then he says, take heed how you hear. For with the same measure you meet it, a paraphrase is this, the degree of honor or faith or respect that you show it will determine the measure of life and blessing and revelation you'll get out of it. We're still talking about honor. Years ago in the 70s, and I, I, will, I will close tonight with this story. I think one of the reasons Brother Keith Moore was my favorite teacher in Bible school and still one of my favorites at the top of the list today, the more I listen to him, the more I think, I, I feel like we're so much alike. Not, I'm not talking about in the degree of anointing or anything. We grew up in the same kind of disciplinary family. He has always honored his country. He's always loved honor. I've always loved that. Some of the same hobbies even. He loved vets. I love vets. It's just all kind of strange. But um, when he got into this story, I was, I was weeping because I have been here on so many occasions. But listen to this. He and his wife living back in Mississippi, all that was important to him was his karate, having a truck as any southerner does, any good old boy, a truck and a dog. They lived in a trailer, but he had a good truck and a good dog. But his wife went to work for, I believe, a doctor, chiropractor, somebody in the medical field. And he was born again, saved Christian. And he kept saying, I want you and your husband to listen to these tapes. Nah, thank you anyway. We're not into tapes. And no, listen to him. He kept after her so much. And she kept telling Keith, honey, my doctor, he's my boss. I don't know. Maybe we should listen to some of these tapes. He said, I didn't even hear of anybody preaching on tapes or anybody listening to them. It was a foreign concept to me. But she brought him home and we started listening to them. And he said, I was brought up with a respect for the Bible and the things of God by my grandmother. Another very big thing we had in common. And he said, I knew these things were real. And as I listened, he said it wasn't long I decided these tapes were the most valuable thing that we had in our possession. And he said, before long, I began to pick up everything I could of Brother Copeland. It was him teaching on there. And he said, he says, I'd come home from work at night. Most guys would want to turn on the TV. Listen to the difference in what people receive. Was he watching football or even his karate stuff? No. He said, I'd come home and pile up those tapes on the couch with my Bible and look so forward to that every day. And he said, before I went to supper, before I went to bed, month after month, finally I ran out of Brother Copeland tapes. And he says, the friend said, well, I got some of Kenneth Hagin. And he said, no, I know I like that Copeland guy, but I don't want to get off somewhere. I've never heard of that Kenneth Hagin. But he finally got him to listen to some of those. And he said, thank God I listened. I got stirred up. I wound up at Ramah. And he said, I had no idea that God was trying to get faith in me at the time that I would need to leave my family, leave my job, and go to Bible school. And I, little did I have any idea of how much faith I would need in it, but God knew. And the Lord is good and knows how to get you ready. And when you obey, you'll be ready when it's time. And then he said, people aren't ready when God calls because they didn't obey. It's that simple. If you obey, you'll always be ready. And then added this. Now, these, these two or three stories are interchanging here. And as I finish the three together, we'll close tonight. But he said, I got some excellent training with Brother Hagen through the years. He says he does not believe in forewarning. I had to laugh. I thought... Yeah, and neither does Brother Rodney. 
he says brother Hagen would call him and say hey what are you doing I'm here studying sir I bet you are because you need to <laughs> just say things kind of gruff like that and he says go ahead and take the service today today yes today it starts in five minutes well thank you sir he said he, he didn't just do that once or twice but a thousand times he told him be ready stay on ready and for the first few months he thought what does that mean and then he realized it means be ready for anything, ready to sing, ready to preach, ready to play, ready to cast out devils. And you might say, well, I don't like that. I think I could have a little more notice. He says, then you don't like what the Bible says when it says be ready in season and out of season. If you're getting ready, are you ready? If, if I, I'm getting ready, so are you ready? No. And if you're not ready, are you ready? No. I'm almost ready. Does that mean you're ready then? Nope. No, it means, ready means I got my stuff in my hand and I'm ready to go anytime you call on me. And that can be a problem with many people for the things of God. Remember the 10 virgins. People try to over-spiritualize that the oil is the Holy Spirit. That, no, there's only one point to that story. Five were ready, five weren't. And it's too late to get ready when you need to be ready. The Lord believes in ready, but don't let that scare you. All you got to do is obey. And he says there's been times in his life he was ready and obeyed and other times he wasn't. The Lord knows the future and what's coming up and what to do to get you ready. He said there was times in healing school, the Lord would wake him up at two o'clock in the morning and give him a message. And he thought, that's dumb. I'm not ministering for a week yet. I don't have a speaking engagement for two weeks as far as I know. And then he'd get there and has to preach that day and went, thank you that I got up out of bed at 2 a.m. and got ready. But he said, I got to admit, there's other times I rolled over and went, yeah, that sounds good. I'll get back to it and study it another time. And he said, I wasn't ready. And when I wasn't ready, all I could do was pray for mercy. God, for the sake of your people, you know, you want them to get something today. And he said, God's usually merciful, but you can't do that all the time. You can't just do the God, I'm sorry thing all the time. If you were always obedient, you would always be ready. And we're not just talking about ministering. Guess what? And you're going to think I'm making this up, Vince. But his next example was, I don't care if you're an electrician. He says, and you're about to leave the shop. And you hear the Holy Ghost say, go get the tools. And you think, well, why? I'm done for the day. Why doesn't he tell you something's about to break and you'll need the tools? Because he doesn't want to. Because if he tells you, you'll know all you need to know in the natural and will know nothing about living by faith. And we got to constantly live like this. If we don't move too fast and learn to listen, the Lord will say, pick this up, write this down, do this, and you won't be caught off guard. You'll be ready and prepared. The Lord doesn't want us unprepared. We're talking about God keeping us ready. And here's the part I want to close with tonight that made me weep. He said, when I was listening to those tapes, I was so excited. I was giving them to a bunch of other people. He said, in my church, family, friends, and the doctor was giving them to a bunch of other people. He said, a lot of people were listening to them at the same time and agreeing. Oh, you're right, Keith. This is good stuff. I like it. And then he said this, if they have grown spiritually or much past where they were in the mid seventies, I can't tell it when I visit them today. He said, why did I get so much out of it and others did not? Drum roll. <laughs> Thank you. They had access to the same thing. They heard the same things. They are basically in the same place they were, what, 30 years ago? They haven't made any progress or developed. What's the difference? Simply this. How 
you esteem it. He said the Lord dealt with him when he was in healing school in 1981 to not fill up his afternoons with a lot of things, to believe God for the finances. So only his wife worked, and she believed with him that they would just be taken care of really tight times. And he gave himself to healing school when Rama got out in the morning. And he said, I was there in the front row of every service every day. And one day, Brother Hagen said, we're going to build a healing center and train others to be healing technicians. And he said to himself, what an honor that would be. He said it went off on the inside of him. Oh, I can't wait till we do that. What an honor to be involved in that. He looked around and thought, oh, but who am I? I'm sure all these other people sitting here are thinking the same thing. But he said, by the Lord's grace and mercy, he was the first one there when it opened up in 1982. And in a few years to come, he found out that the Lord said, no, not everyone feels the same way. You were the only one sitting there that said, what an honor. I'm going to be in on that. I'm going to be the first. The others just sit there like, okay, if he wants to build a healing school, fine. I think about that with our Bible school. When I talk about it, does something jump on the inside of you? What an honor to be a part of a place that will train people going to the nations of the world. Or is it, oh, big dreamer again. I bet this is going to cost us money. Everything is how we esteem it. Comes down to how you see it. You value it. Do you honor it? If you treat it as ho-hum, it won't come to you. It's the people who value it, honor it, treasure it. It's the honor of God that will draw it to you. Do you see what we're talking about here? It's so important. He said in healing school, praying for the sick, Brother Hagen came up to him and said, one man can't do it all. Do you have healing school in your heart? Yes, sir, I do. Then take it. He didn't know him. They didn't have personal conversations then. He just saw him beat on the front row, willing to play the piano when he didn't know how, willing to sing when they didn't have anyone else, willing to take it in a moment when, when Brother Hagen had to run somewhere. And now one day, do you have this thing on your heart? Yes, then take it. And he said he laid hands on me. And before that, I had no tangible anointing that I could tell. I just laid hands on people in faith but after Brother Hagen laid hands on me, the next time I prayed for someone, I felt that tangible anointing that wasn't there before. It wasn't overwhelming, and it's increased over the years, but it was definitely there. A measure of that anointing that was on him. And one day back in the speaker's room before the ministry line, he was praying, Lord, teach me about the anointing. I know the stronger the anointing is, the better. The anointing destroys the yoke. What part can I play in it? He said, I knew some things, but I wanted to learn more. And the Lord said one thing. It's drum roll time again. Faithfulness. He kept praying and the Lord said it again. Faithfulness and stewardship. Then he said, all of my children receive an anointing upon them when they're filled with my spirit. An anointing upon them to be a witness for me. But many of them have done nothing with that anointing. Why in the world would they need more? if they haven't done anything with the anointing they have. He saw what he was talking about and decided to esteem the amount of anointing that was upon him. Treasure it, honor it, do everything he could with it, utilize it, but don't compare yourself with others. I can't look at Brother Hagen, Brother Copeland, Brother Oral Roberts, Brother Rodney and, and say, man, I got a thimble full. They got a bucket load. You can't do that or what you have will be taken away. He began to study about the anointing, treasure it, esteem it, 
talk that it was upon him, minister on it, meditate on it, thank God for it. And, and the more he did that, the greater the revelation came. And when God gives you revelation, you've got to esteem it and honor it. And don't say, how come it's so little compared to what I want? And I don't feel that much. That's why you can't come up in this line and go, well, at least I obeyed when she gave the call and I put both hands up and she went like this and I went, thanks and went, no, you got to go, God, I'm mixing faith with this. I, I'm, I'm, I'm standing around this altar for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I'm esteeming the anointing that is upon my pastor that just came into me and I'm believing something happened. I'm not just walking away like, oh, well, I felt better. If we're ever going to have more, we got to esteem what comes. Don't say what is this compared to what they have. The Bible says to despise not the day of small beginnings. Don't lightly esteem it. Don't fail to honor it. May not be much compared to someone else, but it's what you got. So as we esteem what's on us, it increases to the point sometimes you can't even stand in it. And when God gives you something, treat it as though it's as good as anything God's ever given anybody, not in an arrogant way at all, but not and not standing up here saying, well, I got a few things. They aren't very much, and I'm not a very good minister, but I'll try to get something out and hope it blesses you. Oh, my goodness, not. You got to say, I've got something tonight that will change your life because it's from the throne room of heaven. Not, I'll try. You, you, you got to say, I got something that'll put you in another realm, not the words of men, but the word of God, because I esteem it that way. Two people can be sitting in the same meeting. My goodness, I've lived through it in preaching. I've lived through it in sitting in meetings with people. Two people can be sitting in the same meeting. One gets a life-changing encounter and the other is bored and yawns through it and leaves early. They heard the same thing. What's the difference? They hear, but they don't hear. They hear, but they don't hear. And all of us have done that. But if you're going to develop spiritually, you've got to develop powers of concentration. Got to learn to focus. If someone has to tell you something four times, it's not because you're dumb. We don't have any dummies in here. It's because you're distracted, not focusing. When you're focusing, it's so much easier to get it. I've been in situations ministering to people one-on-one, -on -one and the Lord speaks to, speaks to them. I mean, stops everything and speaks to them. That's a supernatural manifestation of the Holy Ghost. But you don't always have to be a showman about it. Thus saith the Lord God Almighty. Robert, the Lord has a word for you. No, there have been times going down the line. I'm just like, I remember this time in Kansas. I went down the line of probably 200 people. And I was just kind of praying for each one. And, you know, and for their children, Lord, and for blah, blah, blah. The pastor was walking with me. He said, I've never seen anything like this. I said, what? He said, you had a word for every single person in this, this line. And I know their lives and their kids and their husbands and their wife it was so spot on accurate but I've never heard anyone give it just like you're talking to them and praying with them without saying thus saith the Lord I said yeah you don't always have to do that you don't have to be a showman about it but one person will go wow this is awesome this is really something and others will look at you like whatever and you want to say now you're going to be running everywhere to try to get your answer and God just gave it to you that's why they're in the same mess they've been in for 25 years. When they get light, they won't receive it. They won't walk in it. They keep looking for the answer everywhere else, but they've already been shown it. 
Lord, what is the answer? If you just show me, I just do it. If you just show me, guess what? He's already done so and you won't do it. And that's so much of the time the case. The thing you've been taking for granted and lightly esteeming is right in front of you. Brother Hagen said for years, people are looking for the spectacular and missing the supernatural. They want the earth to move, something to glow, riding in the sky, when the answer was there all along in a sermon, in a word from their pastor, in a counseling session. Oh, no, I, I mean, I really need an answer from God. Or because it came through their wife or husband, somebody they didn't esteem. We need to know God well enough that we know when he's talking to us, no matter who it comes through, even if they walked it off the street, if we knew it was God. We ought to be able to recognize it because that same spirit lives in the inside of us. Now I'm going to close with this, getting back to this story of Brother Hagen's. When I found out I got to go to Ramah, <laughs> wow. If I really just stop and think about any of these incidences, they were like yesterday. I thought the chance of me ever going back to Bible school and into the ministry was over because of the hell I was living in in my personal life. And when he said, let's put you back in Bible school and how about going down to Ramah? We'll just get rid of our house, get rid of everything. I know I've got to obey God. I've stopped you too long. Of course, he stopped again, but he had one of those lucid moments. And, and I remember we loaded up everything in the back of a, a car. We let our house just go back to the farmer's home administration. So we lost tons of money. And it was the first halfway decent house I had had in my life. I didn't care. I was, I esteemed Bible school like that. I got down there and started working in that donut shop till midnight. And I've joked about it and told stories about it. But, oh, that was a foul place. People coming in and playing dirty pranks on you. They put a naked doll in the donut cage one time and said, I want that one. And I went to get it. And uh, just, I mean, at midnight, just the people who come in those kind of places looking for a donut at midnight. And then I would take care of the kids, get them off to school, go to Bible school, come home, try to do my, my homework real quick and get back to work. And um, every day in Bible school. People wondered what was wrong with me. Sometimes I was crying because I was locked out of my house or kicked or beat up. But many times I was crying because I'd actually do this. Wow. Wow. I'm a rhema. I'm a rhema. And what I just heard this morning is worth gold to me. I'm living in a two-story apartment where where we didn't even have any air conditioning. It was over 100 degrees and we were baking. You couldn't even sleep at night. But I go, listen to what I'm getting to hear. Every teacher, not some, every teacher, I just go, wow, I've grown up in Pentecost and I've never heard anything like this in my life. Come on, more, 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 more. And, and I would cry that I couldn't go to healing school or I couldn't go to prayer school. If I had my way, I would be at all of those things. And he wanted nothing to do with any extracurricular thing and then found out he was having an affair while we were down there. And, but anyway, after I'd cry my eyes out at night, I'd go back to school and explore and go, I don't care. I'm in Rama, Lord, just let me hang on and get all of it, every last drop, no matter what's fallen out in my life. And I'd look at other people go, I guess this is okay. I, I've heard better. and They don't even do their homework and they argue with the teachers. And I, I wanted to slap them. I wanted to go, we're in the best institution on the face of the earth, but your daddy's paying for yours or your church is paying for yours and you don't even care. 
And I remember thinking as I graduated, I feel like an idiot because I never got to go to any of the social functions, never got to know anybody in our school of the Bible class because it was for couples and he would never go to anything. And, and I thought, you know what? All of these people are, you know, the Hagen's favorites and the teacher's favorites because they do everything and they're in everything and involved. Nobody even knows who I am. And I know these other people are going to do great things. If I can just teach a Sunday school class in my church back in Nebraska and be able to give them this revelation I've received here, I'll be happy the rest of my life. Do you know I have asked some graduates in recent years, what happened to so-and-so that if we would have taken a vote would have been the most likely to succeed? I mean, the whole couple going, they're heading up all the social events, all the, oh, they got hurt and discouraged. They're not even in ministry. What? What happened to so-and-so? Oh, they, they just said this faith stuff doesn't work and they aren't. What? You know what I think made the difference? I don't think I had half the talent. I, I don't even know if I had half the calling some of them did. Who knows? How do you measure that? Or the anointing and then being a lady and having kids and then having to still go through some more battles. You know what I honestly think it was? That there's not been a day of my life since I was this high that I didn't esteem the word of God and sit in every class. There were times I thought I was going to wet my pants. Can I get real? But I wasn't going to get up. Not when I was hearing the gold that I was receiving. Obviously, if it got that bad, I would. Although they have rules in class, you didn't. You, you better hang on in between stuff. But I, and then at, way after Rama, by the time I got to Brother Rodney's, I was like, I, I could hear him. I'd hear other people say, oh, he's going to tell the story of coming to the country with 300 bucks in his pocket. How many times can we hear that story? And I'd be sitting here going wow he got here with only 300 bucks in his pocket like I never heard it ever and I'd be esteeming it and I'd be writing it down for the 459,000th time because this time I might catch one or two details I didn't hear the last hundred times he told it and and you wonder and then people are like why is she his favorite and how does she get picked I didn't sit here going maybe if I really look attentive and focus he'll he'll like me no I did that because I love the anointing and God's word but people that draws that draws people suck the anointing right out of you that's what Edith and Eric did. That's what I was trying to talk about in the meeting. Hundreds of people, much more talented, younger, that could have maybe done more for my ministry, money, and they didn't have any. But, oh, I saw a hunger and a thirst that just went, woof, woof. And there are a lot of things. My husband can tell you in many areas, I'm very, very patient. But I have never had this much patience for people who don't esteem the anointing because I've never understood it. I've just never understood it. When I was a little girl, Grandma, Grandpa, can I go home with you? Uh, yeah, I love my Grandma, Grandpa, like Grace and Owen do theirs. I always want to go home with them. But that was, that was a small part of it. I knew when I got there, finally I'm free to talk about the things of God that my parents aren't interested in talking about. Grandma, tell me about this. And how come God did this? Grandpa, why did God make it like this? That's what I, why I wanted to go home with them on the weekends. That's why I didn't want to sit at the kids' table, why I wanted to sit at the adult table, not to try to show that I'm so mature, but because they're talking about spiritual things. And I'm like, oh, I just... So when people are like, well... I made it, but you know what? I kind of got an early morning, and you know what? I probably got a good portion of it there. I'm out of here now. You're just like, am I throwing my pearls before swine? Am I? 
Focus is something this church has to get a hold of. Focus more than we're thirsty. If you got to bring a bottle of water, bring a bottle of water. I don't care. Keep it beside you. But this getting up, I told Taylor today, I'm just, I just feel like that. There's something that just feels so new in me that I'm just feeling free and saying it instead of just harboring it. I said, you know what? If, if you've got a dozen people anyway, that's already a little bit difficult. But if out of the dozen, some come late and others leave early and others are in the kitchen and others are back here and somebody's in the bathroom 12 times and then you see people opening up the refrigerator door, you're like, you know what? We have dinners, just like what God says about communion. We have, you can eat, you can bring a bottle. If you want to get one of our bottles before you start, go ahead. Most churches don't provide water for the church, but I don't care. We're small. We're trying to do that. But get it at the beginning. Not, you know what? I've listened for a while. I kind of need to stretch and go get me a bottle of water and see who's come in the back. Visit with somebody for a while and then, and then get up again and then... No, we do that. No more anointing will ever be given, ever. I can want it. We can beg for it. We can have prayer till, till we can't even pray anymore. And God wants to give it. But he's like, if they aren't thankful for what they have, not more will be given. We need to do that not just when I'm preaching, when Vince is preaching, when Neil's preaching, when Taylor's preaching. We need to do it when Jennifer opens up with the first song instead of, oh, it's not my kind of music. I'd really rather, when we got to get a keyboard and, and uh, you know what? Oh, she sang this verse now 13 times. No, oh God, oh God, I love your presence. Oh God, I don't need a keyboard. Oh God, I don't need a horn. All I need is arms to worship you and a voice to praise you. And when we begin to praise him like that, he'll come down where I can't even preach, right in the middle of the worship, esteeming what we have. Every last drop calling it to us calling it to us. I want us to be a people, first and foremost, just simply hungry for God. And when you're hungry for God, you honor his things naturally because you're so thankful to get even a morsel from his table. We're training people for the ministry here. I've said that from day one. That's one of the primary, primary purposes of this church. I've always known it. It's what I've always wanted to do. But I'm going to be honest again. People will be no more faithful in their own ministry than they are in someone else's ministry. If work, if family, if holidays or whatever keeps people out of the house of God now, it will when they have their own ministry. Except when they have their own, they'll want everybody to be there and not remember that they had other reasons they couldn't be. But when you go, God, God, nothing is as important as your word because this is eternal. This isn't about this month. This is eternal. This is eternal. My husband and I are trying to really remind ourselves lately everything we do. Eternity. Eternity. Not what's comfortable right now. Eternity. When he said to me, you know you're not supposed to be lifting anything last night as I was bringing those groceries in there. I said, did it work? Did we get people from in off the street? Well, maybe those two came for a sandwich. I guess came too late, didn't get it. I was going to offer it to them later, but came late, left early. It didn't work, but I'm still not daunted that I tried it, that I went through that, buying all those groceries that will now have to freeze and everybody will take home, that I loaded it up, that I cut up all day yesterday and today when I wanted to be studying. I don't regret it. You know what? I just told him, I said, I know, honey, there's only so much we can do. 
but I know we got to build this church and we got to keep reaching out to this community. We got to do it with a sign. We got to do it with a free sandwich. We got to do it with whatever, whatever idea comes to our heart because I won't stand before him and hear him say, you idiot, you put a sign up and said free sandwich and nobody came home. You should have stayed home and studied. But I will hear you tried. You keep trying everything whether you feel like it or not, because that's what ministry is. It's not doing it when you feel like it, because I didn't. And I felt pain after I did it. But ministry, they, they jammed this down us at Rhema is until it became a joke around there. Ministry is what? And we'd all go, W-O-R-K. It's not getting famous. It's not preaching. It's work. It's work. But when we esteem eternal things, you go, this is nothing. We're going to learn to honor him, his people, his things in a greater way. And especially his word, where every drop we hear is like gold to us, just like we were sitting in Ramah, like it was to me. When the irony is, you are getting Ramahs. You're getting Ramahs in the rivers together. And I wouldn't have missed it. I went days I had fevers. I went days after I was smacked around. I went days that my kids were sick because I didn't come down there and give up my house and everything just to, well, I guess this is okay when I feel like it. And I've carried that into ministry. That's honoring God. Would you stand with me? Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Debbie Rich. I trust that you enjoyed this podcast and that it is a life-changing experience for you. And there are more great podcasts to come. And hopefully you will join us for each and every one. God bless.